I'm Carrie Benedet, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help and I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Good evening, everyone. It's Carrie Benedette with Thriving Matters Studio tonight with two sensational educators, uh, Dr. Phil Lambert in the middle there. Hello, Phil. How are you this evening? Hi. Fabulous. <laughs> and Simon Hurd. Um, you're very welcome, Simon. Great to have you with us tonight. Thank you. It's a great privilege to be here. Oh, look, uh, listeners, Wonderful again to have you. We're coming to the close of an education year. And one of the things we've had the opportunity to do this year is really talk about education and how it's been affected by the global pandemic and all the different observations, insights that we have had into how we deliver education, what it is that our kids are learning, what are the skills for the future. And it's not just about Australia and where we're educating, but it's actually a global uh, environment in which we're talking about. So it is my great pleasure tonight uh, to have a conversation around global competencies for the future and these living, learning communities that uh, are really energised for our young people and their future. So without further ado, let me introduce uh, Dr. Phil Lambert. Oh, Phil, you must get Dr. Phil quite a lot, do you? I've got a photo with him too, so I'll show you that one day. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Phil, for many of you in education, Phil has an esteemed uh, career and has uh, been involved in nearly every leadership position from teacher through to to principal uh, to Assistant General Director and Regional Director in Sydney, General Manager for the Australian Curriculum, which he developed um, many years ago. I met Phil on the New South Wales Board of Studies before it became NESA, and um, we had some very interesting conversations in the Primary Education Committee meetings. Phil has a Master's and a Doctorate, Um, He's an adjunct professor, he's a fellow of the Australian College of Educators, and he has received a number of honours and awards, um, the Public Service Medal for his outstanding contribution to education. He's been a recipient of the Harold Wyndham Medal for the Australian College of Educators, and recently received the New South Wales Teachers Guild Phyllis Evans Medal. Now, Phil, currently working globally and it is amazing where you have been traveling Phil from Japan through to Lithuania the Netherlands Qatar Kakistan um, United Arab Emirates UNESCO oh my heavens it is just pretty amazing what great opportunity you've had (laughs) I'll put my favorite there Port Stevens (laughs) 
Oh, and 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 with Bill Hurd in Port Stephens, you're very welcome, Phil. And we're going to tap into some of your great insights uh, from the work that you've been doing currently in reviewing and reforming curriculum in the UK as well. So you're very welcome. Thank you. Now, Simon. Uh, Simon is currently the principal at Madawi Christian School in the beautiful Port Stephens, as we've indicated. Um, Simon is very well known. His reputation precedes him as an innovative educational leader. He has a number of qualifications and academic qualifications at that, uh, educational leadership and management, his um, Masters of Educational Studies, Business Administration, and he's currently doing a PhD as well. Uh, you make me feel tired, you two. Um, he, you received a Young Citizen of the Year Award from the Australian Government. You have received many prestigious alumni um, awards from your undergraduate university as well. One of the things that feel uh, that, sorry, Simon, um, has is a very strong sense of service and his relationship with the sister school in Vanuatu um, after the cyclone, I think it was Pam. cyclone Helen? Pam. Pam, that's right. Um, cyclone Pam um, is uh, still within the, the realms of the experiences that he gives his students at his current school. Now, I haven't done you both justice, so let the conversation do the rest of the justice for us tonight. So thanks for, for letting me read some of that because um, I couldn't put it all to memory. Mm -hmm. um, all right, let's see how we're going. Now, one of the questions really is that, you know, are we using our, our children and our students in our schools as experiments? Because there's a lot of reforms going on. There's a lot of observations and insights. And as we know, we all have a view on education from how we were educated. But tonight, what we'd like to do is talk about these global competencies or do we call them something else? And where is this being driven from? So over to you, Phil. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been involved in in the last decade or so around reforms and reviews? Thank you. So the term is used extensively, um, competencies or capabilities, um, soft skills some people refer to these as well but what we're talking about essentially are the kind of um, capabilities skills, knowledge dispositions that you need to be able to as your program states thrive uh, not only in uh, life but also in work and, and understanding well-being is all part of being part of society, and that means contributing uh, in all, any kind of work that you might do, whether it's um, paid work or volunteer work and, and so on. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not a fad, the competencies um, that we're talking about here. Um, fads are things that effectively, you know, uh, one place borrows from another and it's, uh, it has a short lifespan. Um, what we're talking about here are the kinds of things that uh, schooling systems, uh, governments talk about what they want their young people uh, to have. Uh, and when I work with the various countries I do and with the OECD 
UNESCO and so on. This is a whole lot of countries coming together and effectively saying we want our young people to be well equipped for the future that we've created for them. At the OECD, uh, we often refer to that as the VUCA world. It's volatile, unpredictable, complex and ambiguous. We've created that for our young people uh, and clearly this year is the is if you wanted an example, uh, it's come in spades this year. And how well have our young people dealt with uh, the situation? How well have our adults, how well have we, uh, you know, when you think of the US election, how well are people applying critical thinking to information they're given? Uh, how well uh, have we been able to create new value out of a difficult situation? How well have we been resilient? How well have we been responsible and respected, you know, when we've been given uh, information? Uh, literacy and literacy, their essentials, they always will be. Every country continues uh, yes. to see these as foundational, uh, but there are many other competencies now. We once talked about them only. Now what countries want to do is make sure they're embedded in teaching and learning. That's right. And um, all those go together for well-being. Um, if we don't have really good well-being strategies in place and frameworks, there will be no learning. That's so, right. Well-being yeah. is the umbrella. It yeah. is. Whether we're talking about individual well-being, social well-being, yeah. economic well-being, well-being is the umbrella, and how you mm. get that is by equipping young people with these competencies. I think the exciting thing out of that conversation around these global competencies that we like to term as fluencies uh, at our school, but for me, historically in education, we've had these anchors that have held us to the past. And one of the things that we've all experienced this year is the, the challenge to be continually looking forward. So for me, with our staff for the last few years, um, we've been on this, what does learning look like moving forward? We've all talked around 21st century learning and so often that's still bandied around and we're in 2020 moving to 21, where the global competencies for me, they are forward focused in the nature and the dispositions and the skills that are required to be successful in a future focused economy. And for me, that's been one of the really significant things that as uh, Phil shared there, that they're not these whim moments that sometimes we see in education that come full circle and we find that there were other things and we go back on the, the roundabout. But this is really well established from lots of research, from global um, investment. So it's not just even Australian in that context. It comes from a global perspective of what do our young people need into the future to be successful? Yeah. Now, I've just heard some new language that some of our listeners may not um, have heard because really our all our programs have been around um, awareness raising of, of what is actually happening and what what uh, can happen, what's gone ahead without us knowing. So Simon, tell me about this word fluencies, the language that you're using. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as we touched on there before, that the OECD have identified global competencies and with our leadership team, we really dived into this early and uh, have had some great sessions where we've really explored what does it mean to be competent. And I guess the best way that we can align our thinking strategically yeah. in an education setting is 
you think of swimming, uh, that when you've got young people that are competent swimmers, they might be able to do a stroke that gets them to the end of the pool and you tick a box to say, yes, they're competent. However, for us, we don't want our young people to just be competent learners, that they're just that 50% <laughs> We want them to thrive uh, into their, their learning and to see themselves as lifelong learners. And so we came up with this notion of being fluent in what you're doing, yeah. perspective in the swimming. When you're a fluent swimmer, it allows you to explore new horizons. You can take up water polo, you can go sailing, and you actually can create new things mm. with that competent skill that you have. So the notion of being a competent learner or a fluent learner for us was significant in the vocabulary because it really determined that we want to achieve a sense of excellence in lifelong learning that allows our young people to create something new and different as a result of the skills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And over over time, your leadership team and your teachers are using this language, so that must then trickle down into how the students talk about their learning as well. It's certainly a new place that we've really started using that fluency terminology this year and uh, we're seeing that it is engaging into that conversation and seeing how things are being planned for learning for our students and looking at uh, the way electives are run in our secondary part of the school and um, service learning opportunities around applying learning in new ways so that the kids have student agency in that space that that's one of the global fluencies that we have really valued that it's an engagement tool and it's that co-creation with the learners which ultimately provides a sense of lifelong learning or you're instilling that love yeah. that learning is not something that happens to you, it's something that happens with you. The um, I was just about to say you've, you've worked with Phil and um, every now and then we have a little um, IT issue and he'll come back in, so don't worry about that. <laughs> we go with it. Um, that you've worked together. Um, there he is. You just wanted to be on the end, Phil, didn't you? <laughs> like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I thought I got rejected. That's what must have happened. Sorry uh, my life. No, I think we're just showing how how well we're adaptable to changes in in the environment as we, as we do this. But you you've been working together, haven't you, over over a period of time? Um, yeah. So t tell tell us a little bit about the change that you've seen in your your staff in in the the way they now can define learning for their students and what you're seeing in your students. Mm. Um, I think the, the first word of significance is the word change, that uh, this concept is a new paradigm in learning. And when we launched it with the staff, we, we resonated the journey of climbing Mount Everest or climbing something new that was beyond our initial competence of horizon. What does it look like? Well, we might not know the direct path, we might find some different things along the way. So we'd been on that journey of what should learning look like and then COVID came along, which was a really uh, significant detour. But out of that, for us, there's been a really significant focus as everyone around that notion of wellbeing, around the, the notion of how we engage in an online world when that's where everything mm. is happening. But for us, we also explored the opportunity to get approval to continue in this online space. So we saw that an opportunity to establish a distance ed 
the school. Um, and we've called that borderless learning, which really fits so well for that notion. And so through the middle of COVID, we launched into borderless learning with our staff. We then started to experience how we play out into our classrooms. Uh, the notion of hybrid learning has been really significant. We've been looking at some research out of the US, how that can really benefit learning for physical classrooms as well. And we've seen that throughout this year. We've started to embrace these competencies or fluencies and really started to be forward focused, looking at the front windscreen at a new horizon of learning, rather than often the, the history of us being held to the way we were taught, the experience yeah. we had as students and as parents in those communities, and ultimately being chained to those rear view mirrors. And I guess for me that the notion of being or able to take them on that journey of first of all, we talk about growth mindset in our classrooms, but first in this journey, we have to experience that and we have to lead ourselves through that so that we therefore have the right to lead others through that journey as well. So that has really seen our classrooms start to change. So we've seen um, practices continue in primary with uh, hybrid learning, so literacy, with some of those explicit teaching moments that uh, are really explicit, really defined, having those recorded allows for immense differentiation immediately. And we've continued to use that uh, as we've moved through lockdown phases here in our community. And we've seen continuing growth in student learning that's been beyond what we would have imagined. Uh -huh. uh, having that ability to differentiate, to have the explicit instruction without the distractions. Uh, so that's been something of a, a significant journey in a practical way for us this year. Well, Phil, is this something you're, you have been working with and seeing um, in other countries around the world or or is this this is a real response, the hybrid learning uh, for, um, that Simon's talking about that's happened this year? Is that a response to his forward thinking and that of the, the needs of the community here? Um, well, let me put it in context. There's... there's uh... Uh, across the globe, uh, you know, through various UNESCO, UNICEF and OECD mm -hmm. and other platforms are uh, being engaged with, I've got a fairly good picture about what's happened across the globe in this period. Um, and uh, whereas uh, we can obviously reflect on how challenging it's been here, um, it's been incredibly challenging elsewhere uh, yeah. in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, their school year ends at the middle of the our year um, in June. That's when their exams were. So you get countries like Scandinavia that didn't run their normal, if you like, high school certificate their end of year and had to rely on other strategies and are now, for the future, uh, looking to not run those external exams again. So oh. great learning from them. So it depends if you've got the basis to start with. Um, what Simon, in Simon's school, um, he's coming from a very strong basis. He's got great leadership there from himself and his team. Um, they're very strong values that the school is based on and they live it and breathe it and it's very identifiable. Um, they were already innovative in terms of their using technology um, this wasn't a crisis response like we've seen in some other schools, in some other okay. systems, in some other countries. Um, you know, in South in South Africa, you know, the, they've had to set up WhatsApp, 
for students to be taught. That's that's how they're being taught. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, you know, in Costa Rica, the main interest there has been getting food to families, not education. Mm -hmm. So it's all relative. Um, yeah. And it's very clear within Australia, schools like um, Simon's that actually were looking at blended learning, were looking at flipped classrooms where, you know, the students, are, you know, were are given kind of tasks at school and they go off and do them outside of school, um, they were able to really uh, move uh, into this very well. And when people talk about a new normal, <laughs> some some were coming to that anyway. That was the normal they were working towards. Yeah. They were recognising um, the point you make about AI um, that... Uh, you need a whole lot of competencies. You need to actually know when it's best to use technology and when not to. Yeah, when yeah. Uh, the social um, capacity building that schools provide, the face-to-face -face elements, and I noticed, I know uh, Simon's building that into his distance program as well. That is a blend. Uh, that's a different kind of blend that they're working with there. Yeah. Uh, not, I wasn't surprised. Uh, to see uh, the way Simon went. And the other thing I thought I should mention, sorry, I'm taking this off the question a little bit, but I thought before too long I needed to say no country that I know, and in Simon's schools, another good example, no one's talking about um, jettisoning, jettisoning knowledge or disciplinary strength. We recognise right. the value of the disciplines. Right, that's a good point to make. What we're talking about is at an atmospheric level, kind of lifting the importance mm. of these essential skills, these fluencies, um, as Simon mm. School has been calling them, um, because, um, as he said, it's actually how you apply these in various contexts in life, and the more that you apply them in different contexts, the better, the more fluent you become. These aren't tra you can't learn problem solving in uh, visual arts, and that means you're a good mathematics problem solver. Mm. You, you need to actually experience um, problem solving in all the different content content. But what we're talking about is less focus on a, you know death by a thousand dot points of traditional content, and more about what are we trying to achieve here. What are we yeah. saying we're trying to achieve? What are the kind of young people, um, we, what do we want to equip our young people with? And let's make sure we're doing that. And the other key thing here, Carrie, that's been missing in the past and now everyone is turning its attention to is how do we assess these? How do we actually wow. assess? Question. And are the kinds of exams that we've kind of relied on um, they're helpful in, in us identifying and assessing some aspects of learning, but not all the kinds of things that um, we know yeah. young people need. Well, as I think you've nailed it, Phil, really, because assessment is a massive um, uh, challenge for people. It is a massive, massive consideration. And when, when you both were talking there, I just thought, right, I'm really interested in how your parent community has seen your innovations and your your changes that you've put in place, Simon, because yeah. those yeah. parents are also in Port Stephens. Those parents would also be employers. 
right? Yes. Of, of possible students, they would have businesses. They have, you know, they have other interests as well. So, I'd be interested in what the community response um, was to your your distance, your hybrid learning style. Yeah. So, um, is quite unique in some aspects. So, we have a, a large tourism um, population yeah. and uh, economy in that space. Yet. Yeah flip to that uh, we're very close to Williamtown RAF base and Newcastle airport so uh-huh. we've got a high um, defense industry there and a lot of associated industries that are into um, your maintenance of aircraft technology systems that go into those spaces there so there's a real interesting uh, challenge in the skills that are required in both of those but for me one of the aspects that's been significant is these skills or competencies um, that we've termed fluencies. For me, the strength of them as part of a learning continuum in a school is that they're transdisciplinary. So that you're teaching entrepreneurship not in isolation as a subject, but it's how that thinking that applying new things, the creative thinking that Phil touched on, the student agency. You can have the foundation skills that uh, teach students the discipline, but if the students aren't engaged in that space, how much knowledge are they actually taking in that then allows them to go deeper and explore new creative learning? So the the journey there is really different groups take different things, Uh, but we've really narrowed our focus on a few of these key competencies to drive hard into, and some of those being student agency is one for us. Uh, entrepreneurship has been another significant one for us that we see that that incorporates a number of those different skills, thinking, and another significant spaces in that financial uh, fluency as well. Yeah. You look at the impact that COVID's had and tying yeah. the entrepreneurial skills, but the ability to actually take the information that we've learned in maths and English and different components and how we can actually use that to free ourselves up to use that as a financial fluency rather than just being competent at paying bills and using an FPOS card. Um, It gives us an opportunity to be across all those domains that we currently have in disciplines of school to take our learners beyond that and give them skills that they will be able to apply and set up businesses. And we've seen that this year through COVID. Some of our students in primary (laughs) have established businesses and uh, been proactive into that space as well, which is really exciting as an educator. Well, I was going to ask you about what applications are you seeing? What are you finding out that they're up to? Because innovation and creativity is often squashed Mm. when when our little people get into kindy. They've had such an imaginary life beforehand, creative life, Um, and you just watch, sometimes you just watch it, start to be start to diminish um so i'm really interested i was going to ask you about it basically they're into action research aren't they they're 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 applying it and they're living it and they're failing they're trying again they're 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 readjusting so it's quite exciting i i think it would be quite life-giving for you as educators to see what's happening Definitely. So the work that Phil has done with our staff in that journey is encouraging them to see themselves as a guide alongside the students or the coach of the student conversation. With our Stage 3 students, one of the learnings that they put in play was a 
transdisciplinary unit. Um, there's a, a new fast food chain coming into our local community. And so we wanted our students to actually put some real world context to this and explore the research, the whys, the developments around that. But ultimately, COVID stopped what the final product of that looked like. But ultimately, we were giving the students the opportunity to connect with our local politicians as the assessment tool, rather than you can <laughs> test and show the knowledge. But the application of that to having a real life audience that is highly respected in our community really lifts the game. And that notion of student agency, the notion yeah. of them as a learner having ownership over an output, a deliverable, but also the teacher coaching and mentoring, facilitating rather yeah. than just pouring the knowledge in. There's knowledge a yeah. moment, the teachable moments in that. It's not just throw them and let them go um, to their own devices, but helping them structure survey questions that, again, for me, really the competencies that come into that entrepreneurship and um, the critical yeah. thinking, the, the problem solving in those skills that create something oh. deeper and richer than what our traditional schooling have. Carrie, I think it's important to add here um, what uh, the key to this too was um, Simon's staff, they didn't throw out uh, the syllabuses, the, you know, the authorised required um, syllabuses. Uh, they use the outcomes. Uh, the the sure. they, they look for what the, the outcome, what we we're trying to achieve in these various subject areas and we're able to contextualize um this this was an issue a real issue um uh and to realize and actually show the power of deep learning um using what they're required to do but do it in a way they're not straight jacketed by um you know a succession of dot points and i think one of the challenges there too is that paradigm shift for staff it's not easy and you've got to be willing to take the time to get it right. So you've got to allow the staff time to test it, try it, experience it. So our first test of it was small and uh, low rather than all lofty, here's the whole term, everything fully integrated, fully integrated assessment. Okay. So it's very much around let's have a, a taste of success and then let's branch it forward from there. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about optimising the outcomes, aren't you, yeah. of 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 the situation of the learning, yeah. yeah. And I'm I am fascinated. I think um, a lot of parents would love to love to hear um, about um, this this style of educating for the future. Yeah. And if we look at um, Phil, and you know this better than me, if we look at the OECD World Economic Forum, all the papers. So we're moving to towards 2030 goals. Yeah. And, and outcomes for for education for the for the whole of the world community. Um, this is uh, this is shining a great light on on how to do things differently to increase the optimal learning of of the of the students and your teachers and your teachers because they're still learners as well. Absolutely. So when I finished my, uh, work with the um, at the national level here uh, with the Australian curriculum. Um, the OECD um, engaged me to be a curriculum expert for them on the OECD 2030, Education 2030 project. It's very exciting. Um, what it effectively is saying, again, what are these competencies that young people need? 
uh, and how can we equip them? And what are the what are the barriers? What are the things? Mm. There's 36 countries involved in that. It's not you know it's not um, uh, Australia is one of the countries involved. And yeah. effectively, what the um, the task has been is um, all of them say the curriculum is crowded. So how do we reduce the curriculum and get deeper learning? And that really means we actually have to call into question all that we include in curricula um, and, and, you know, things that have been taught, continue to be taught, even though they're no longer relevant or their relevance is less important than some other things that are yeah. new and emerging. Uh, and so this is what every country that I work with is trying to do. It's trying to review and say, well, what, what can we now do? really jettison uh, knowing that teachers only have so much time, students only have so much time to learn what are the key things we want them to really grasp and as Simon says, to be fluent in uh, and let's make room and space for that to happen. I, I can tell you, by the way, you know, an interesting example here, most people would think Japan, uh, when I say Japan, they would think, you know, really heavily relied on studying towards exams and so on uh -huh. is the case uh, but uh, uh, as of next year students that leave the secondary system there and want to get into the public universities which are the most sought after there uh, their schools the the exam will only play a certain percentage in their uh, in the material that goes and has them selected so there's a whole profile of these competencies um, that have to be provided by the school about what the stu students have demonstrated. Um, oh. Many things that you can't get from exams, but they're from actually, as Simon's doing, seeing students in practice. Well, I was going to ask Simon and you about that because assessment is really major and you know, we always we've had a discussion here about the high school certificate, about when we when year ten um, moderated exams finished, a whole you know a lot of things. Um, this year will be very different for our for our HSE students um, and how they're going on to university if that's their choice. Um, so that is a big that is a big. Uh, not a worry, I don't think, but it's an issue, and it's 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 gets a lot of conversation around the barbecue, around the the you know what what are you going to do? What here are your choices? How are we going to get you in? To you know, how are you going to get into this or this or this? So, what I what are some of your thoughts on assessment? So you've told us a bit about Japan. What do you think might or who will will Australia make their own mind up? Will we follow? Will we use other countries, for example? So I'm in your hands for this one. Uh, well, the interesting thing about Australia, we're a federation just like the USA and Canada. Um, and so we have, although we've got a national curriculum and from kindergarten through to year 10, the states embed that into, yeah. into their, their own like version of that. When it comes to the, um, the senior years, uh, they hold very dearly to their exit uh, exams. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you have variation across the country. Um, and, you know, you have uh, states like South Australia and uh, Victoria that require like a research project as as a yeah. contributing element of the 
final assessment um, or South Australia, which, you know, 70% of the students' um, assessment is by their work in, in the classroom, 30% uh, only from the examination. Hmm. Uh, so you are having increasingly, um, and South Australia is doing some really interesting work at the moment around yeah. uh, learner profiles and so on. Uh, so I think uh, that plus increasingly as universities are accepting students with um, a different kind, you know, the ATAR uh, less valuable, compared to other qualities that you can demonstrate that you bring. Uh, I think we'll see, you know, the tipping points well and truly on its way. Um, yeah. I think we're over it. Um, you know, when countries like Japan, when you get, as I said, Sweden deciding not to run with its, uh, are likely not to run with its exit exam right. in the future, um, when, it's, when they've proven that they can do without, um, if they rely on teacher judgment, if they equip their teachers to be able to make those judgments, um, we can, what we end up with is a much richer description. I mean, we're one of the few countries in the world where, um, in fact, I'm not sure of any other country where all your 13 years of schooling, if you go on to you know, year 12, ends up with a, one mark, like one. Yeah you know score um and that's an interesting space too phil that this year the challenges that universities have had about atar and different states yes. in the disruption to their studies it's been interesting seeing the universities start to raise that challenging question of what does that actually tell us about learners coming into our courses uh and we've had conversations directly with two institutions at that tertiary level that are keen to explore a future horizon where student portfolios um, and yeah. demonstration of their understanding and the opportunity for them to demonstrate their critical thinking um, are deemed highly valuable. I think it's a horizon that is certainly in hot conversation now. It's the how to <laughs> um, bridge that gap from the score on a page to something that other countries are doing quite well in that space and seeing high engagement from their students rather than high dropouts that we're often seeing in that tertiary change as well. Yep. So do you, I'm just um, just going to move that on a little bit because the challenge then, if we're looking, say, say it's a portfolio that um, is now presented. Bill, you talked to me a little bit um, before about the fusion skills that yep. are, are very popular. So if I said to you now, what do you think those portfolios might um, have as their framework? What would be included in those global fluencies that we've been talking about? What would we what would we put in there? Yeah. So what, what I mentioned before about the UK, um, that was uh, the City of London invited me to be part of their work on fusion. What it's called the Fusion Cities. They had their second meeting. Uh, it was. First meeting last year, second meeting this year, there'll be another meeting next year. And they've identified 12 competencies that they feel as a city, and they've asked other cities from Europe right. uh, and the UK to participate in this. What are the competencies that, regardless of what work you're in, um, how can we make, uh, how, how can we, what are the fusion, how do these all connect to make an outstanding person? 
uh, both in terms of their work and their contribution to society. Um, and these are uh, one of the uh, practice that's happening in different places is the badging, uh, where you demonstrate. You might do a Google course, or you might do a Yahoo course, or something like that, and demonstrate you have particular competencies. And so you're accumulating a whole lot of um, micro credentials, um, demonstrating you know that you can do this, you can do that, um, and that has seen um, the the. I've got to say the idea, you know, that um, uh, if you're seeking employment uh, and you you've got a, a certificate, you know, a bachelor's or a master's um, in some uh, highly technical skill, um, it's kind of like uh, these days. Yes, that's fine. That gets you into the mix. Now we want to see these other things, you, you know. Yeah, so, yeah you're, so you've got the subject knowledge, if you like. What are you like as a person? How do you work with others? How, can, how are you going to add value to our organisation? Uh, these are the kinds of things that universities know that the work, the you know, the workforce demands, countries want, businesses want. Um, they want people with these whole mix of skills. So you can acquire those through micro-credentialing. Um, schools can develop these profiles themselves. There are so many tools now that enable you to do that. And so the idea of everything coming up to a final big set of exams and then you get a mark at the end, um, you know, we, we're kind of comfortable with that because that's what we know. Um, and... You know, New South Wales, other states have been able to make it happen uh, under this crisis. Uh, other countries didn't have that luxury of time to kind of em enable that and have their kids back at schools and so on. So they've found other ways. And, and yeah. like the, concept, from that. the concept yeah. that you touched on there of the micro-credentialing, I think, yeah. is a massive thing moving forward. We're yeah. in the conversation now. Um, the traditional approach to stage five states um, electives of doing some of the stuff that you you go, what's the application of that? Um, yeah. We're exploring micro-credentialing into those courses so that the students are actually getting a real-world skill that has some value that might culminate in something very different to what we would typically badge them with on their rosa of having completed XYZ course. This actually opens up pathways for employment whilst they continue in their oh. schooling having real world success in a moment rather than okay how do i get to this point into the future but in a moment having some success along that journey that keeps them motivated to continue striving yeah think oh, of, uh, think of that uh, simon uh, mentioned there the yeah. uh, ecosystem around his school there with the the airport tourism and yeah. the other um work and life that the, uh, uh, you know, communities in, drawing those in to the school and and being able to to give kind of credentialing and, and um, recognition for things the students do in, yeah. in co-agency with uh, some of these organisations and individuals. You know, it's just rich if we use it. Well, the whole, to me, it all comes together and there's a whole community that, is thinking not just about themselves but others as well so 
it, it brings it all together. And I'm I'm really excited. I'm so thrilled that we've had an opportunity to tonight to actually talk about what it is that's been happening here locally that mirrors what some what's happening in the rest of the world. And it's been uh, we've got the we've got the engine running and we've got the fertilizer starting. You know the seeds are being planted. I'll use a bit of a metaphor. Is that right? Um, the seeds have been planted. Those you know, and the it's just starting. The seedlings are coming up. We've got all these different branches. Um, we've got forest gardens. You name it. We've got uh, some amazing things happening, and that's what education is all about for, for, for me. And I'm a I'm a little bit uh, in. in older now with uh, with some generational responsibility. So um, it's all about that. Um, our time has just flown. So I've got to say thank you to you both. But I know that some of our listeners, if they wanted to contact you and continue this or find out a little bit more about what you do, um, they're curious. What's, Simon, are you happy for them to yeah. pop on and have input? Yeah, very happy um, to share, to bounce things. Um, to explore conversations together. So, yeah, very happy to pass on contact details and share that wide and far. So Madawi Christian School at Port Stephens, yes. pop onto their website and have a look. There is a contact um, part of the website. I know that for a fact. And Phil, you, uh, Phil Lambert, easy to find. Phil Lambert Consulting um, and uh, on Facebook, on as Phil Lambert and uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn's another great tool to connect into that space as well. It is. Yeah. It is. Oh, look, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, your company this evening, your your brain power, your the whole brain's trust, but your absolute passion for looking and being curious and being able to put creations into innovation. So um, I think that's really important and that's, that's what we want when we talk about leadership and we talk about education. That's the crunch, isn't it? The connection that we have to build something that is greater than ourselves. Brilliant. So your, your thriving matters, our, our children, our future generations thriving matters, and uh, we will be able, as um, another um, well-known coach, international coach says, we will get through this because we are so much better together. So um, thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, absolute pleasure. And uh, listeners, uh, next Tuesday, we're coming to the close of our, our uh, education year. And uh, we have two more, um, two more sessions, uh, episodes left of Thriving Matters Studio. So I look forward to your company next Tuesday night as well. And our final session for this year will be Tuesday the 1st of December and it's going to be celebration time so we're going to have a lot of people popping in and out that you've been able to talk to this year so I look forward to that one as well so thank you very much Thanks, guys. take good care of your very good selves bye for now thank bye -bye. you thank you I'm Carrie Benedett and this is my podcast Thriving Matters